This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, host of the podcast Transformative Principle and author of the book School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I'm a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I are teaming up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, child advocates, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's actually (laughs) leading experts, not just nations, because we are now, we are going global here, um, from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. Hey there, Jethro. Well, hello, and here we are going global. I'm so excited about this. (laughs) Merely the first of our many continental journeys. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So let's explain why this is all so incredibly funny to us. Um, It is my distinct pleasure to introduce Awo Adama Menya, who is Child Online Africa's founder and executive director. Child Online Africa is a child and family-focused charity working in Ghana and beyond through strategic partnerships. In this role, AWA leads a team of professionals and volunteers committed to influencing policies and changing practices in favor of child well-being, keeping the child in Africa safe while they are online. The team's work influenced the National Cybersecurity Policy and Strategy in Ghana in 2015 and the Africa Union's Agenda 2040 in 2018 to prioritize child online protection. Prior to her current role, AWO has facilitated platforms for engagement between state and non-state actors to influence policy and development decisions specifically related to education, violence against girls, child sexual exploitation and abuse, child online protection, 
etc. Awo is DQ World Training Partner, a member of the National Child Online Protection Steering Committee for Ghana, and Child Online Protection Implementation Partner for ITU, the International Telecommunication Union. And I think the single most <laughs> impressive thing in her bio, which you'll be able to read in the show notes, is that she successfully summited Mount, Mount Kilimanjaro, which is almost 20,000 feet above sea level, in August. This is August 2020, um, as a social cause, 2019, as a social cause to raise awareness on child online safety and well being in Africa. And I suspect if Jethro and I had to do that to promote <laughs> child well being, <laughs> it would be a um, bit of a slog. In any case, Awo, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Fred and Jethro, for hosting me. And it's a pleasure to connect uh, because you know very well that anything which has to do with child online safety and well-being, you, you would have me talking. So, yes, I'm, well. <laughs> I'm so happy to join you guys. Well, you, you are in many ways the perfect guest for this podcast, Awo, so it's good to have you here. I think um, I will give a shout out. We, As I was saying to Jethro earlier, we talk a lot about the risks and the concerns raised by technology, but you and I got together because we saw each other on Twitter and we had some back and forth and, and it, it has been a great opportunity for us to talk and to share resources. So I think just to get us started, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into this work and right. what led you to do it? I started off more like um, a violence, gender-based violence advocate for the Ghana National Education Campaign Coalition. So focusing mainly on violence against girls in schools. So um, having gone through that, came a lot of things, including uh, menstrual hygiene management issues, which is gaining prominence now. So from that, I thought, okay, what is there? And um, the environment where I live, happened to be a military setting. There are young people there who engage for one reason or another. And as a trained teacher, I believe in positive discipline in correcting children rather than spanking. So in my interest to ensure that schools are adhering to a, a proper classroom management approach, I came across a school that the headmistress was holding a cane. And I was like, okay, what is that for? It's a long time I've seen that. And there was one child who was standing there. So when I inquired, I saw that the young boy has actually gone to the cyber cafe, downloaded content onto a stick. And in fact, he informed the parents he was going to do project work. This project work turned out to be files created uh, with uh, African breasts downloaded, Caucasian breasts downloaded. And so that classification was there. And it was the reason the father brought him to the school to be disciplined by the headmistress. So I was like, okay. I've read a bit about how to handle young people because of my, our own children down here. So I thought, okay, killing this boy will not give us the solution we want. 
So I said, let me have a word with the boy. I called him aside, interacted with him, got to know that, okay, other friends were bringing such content to school and they kind of influenced him to also bring it if he knows what time it is. So this boy went to have that. And so I had the word with him. I promised the father we would get the boy reformed, but not with a cane. He needs to direct his focus to the right thing. Because of course he's learned how to create folders, but does not have the energy to choose the appropriate content. So in my discussion with him, I made him start to create blogs, simple blogs about his environment, focusing on water and sanitation, health and anything and everything he could write about. So that is how we started. So after the incident, I was like, okay. So let me see what is existing. Because of my background in policy advocacy, I then resorted to the ICT for Accelerated Development Policy, which Ghana was using to deploy internet into the country. Just to see, okay, what aspect of uh, safety is catered for in that policy? just so we can start making a case for it at both local, regional, and national level to ensure that the right systems are in place. And to my surprise, there was nothing on safety and protection for children. Everything was mainly about how to uh, create a folder, just the, the sub-skills of things. So I thought, no, there's a need for us to look into the behavioral and character education of these young people. So that started the, the, the campaign. And in fact, we launched it on a Valentine's Day just to take advantage of the opportunity because that is when they engage and indulge them all. So yes, so that started uh, Child Online uh, Africa. Then it was J Initiative, but then moved into Online Africa. And becoming Africa also arose from my participation in the ITU Planning Potential Conference in 2018. So with the background in Ghana and how to start the discussion with people on what to do to protect young children, we happened to, mm. we happened to meet at the African group level where we saw that most of the African countries are equally not doing well. So with the experience in Ghana, I thought it would be good to engage at that level. So that led to the change of name from J Initiative to Child Online Africa. And as, as such, we decided to also look at the systems where um, ITU being the main uh, IT agency responsible for the internet, having systems and frameworks in place to ensure that countries do what they have to do. So that again, as an advocate, we took it up and started the conversation with other countries to ensure that the writing is, is, is done at that level. So one of those uh, interventions was what led to the hashtag campaign with the Africa Union Committee of Respect on Child Rights and Welfare, 
where we had influence the framework, which is the agenda 2040, we talk about to have the component of safety and well-being taken into consideration into, in that document. So that is how far we, we've come with, with, with that. And as a next step to that was the Kilimanjaro you, you spoke about because <laughs> Kilimanjaro happened to be the highest point in Africa. And uh, Tanzania, the country Tanzania declared independence on, on that mountain. So I thought that it was uh, strategic enough to, to use that as a way of calling to action uh, the African players to ensure that children and young people are safe online. I don't want to go to the side of that one because um, Fred, you know very well that that mountain is not an easy one. <laughs> and for, for, for the six days, no. the experience is, is something else, but it's all well and good. It's, it's been worth it. Yes. That's that's a beautiful symbol <laughs> for the work that you're doing, I have to say. Um, you know, I, I think like a lot of our listeners, and, and, and forgive us, I, I, I think that there's, uh, there's, there's a lot we can learn about what, right. what is taking place in your country and, and in the continent of Africa in general. So yeah. just from a basic point of view, what is what is the state of of telecommunications and internet access, particularly for kids, in Africa right now? Fred, it's um, the the penetration rate is is going faster than we thought. Um, as at uh, twenty nineteen, it was about thirty two percent, but then it's been estimated to be uh, getting to about if, if my uh, calculation is right, it's going to be hitting over 50 by 2020. Um, but then that is only restricted to a certain area, not, uh, not cutting across the, the digital divide. So again, uh, we, we can have issues of infrastructure, we can have issues of uh, digital skills gaps. We can also have issues of uh, connectivity in itself. Yes. If I recall correctly, um, the this is one of the things that, that the new um, Starlink initiative is designed to address, right? Because um, in a way, the because there isn't tremendous telecommunications infrastructure, a lot of what I've read about Africa is that internet users are jumping straight to wireless and um, to, to satellite communications. And, and so like a lot of the landline or, or copper wire systems aren't even being built because it's just not efficient to do that. Yes. Um, it, it doesn't look, it, it doesn't, it's not efficient to support the system, but the, the reality on the ground is that, you know, when you skip one stage to the other, more like leapfrogging, uh, there's a high possibility of you missing out on some basics. And so, yes, that is a reality we are faced with. And even looking at uh, taking the case of Ghana, it's not everywhere that there is wireless connectivity. Um, so again, that tells you that there's a lot which has to, to, to go into infrastructure. 
not to even um, undermine the cyber cuts, I mean, out of theft and things like that. So we have such situations uh, here. But again, I think there's a lot going on. Uh, but as a skills person or digital skills focused person, I don't see much going on into, in that area. But then I see a lot more of deployments Yes, everybody is getting access, but to what extent is the access uh, uh, trustworthy is, is something else that we need to be looking at and talking about. So that's really interesting to me, Awo, because in the story you shared at the beginning, <laughs> the boy um, went to an internet cafe and he yes. learned how to download pictures. He learned how to create files and folders. He learned how to organize it and put it onto an external hard drive. And so what it sounds like is that the focus is on getting access and there's not a lot of attention being paid because it's not deployed in a way that everybody has access at the same time, just certain places do. And so there's not a lot of education going along with how to actually use it, whether or not you can trust who it's coming from. Are those issues that you're facing as well? Yes. Um, the, the, young, the, the, the young boy in question, actually, he learned the ICT in the classroom. And you know, we have a classroom situation where you learn in abstract, and then we have yep. the opportunity to have a device, so then you now implement what you, you've learned. So that is the situation. So he learned the basics in the classroom and then went to the cafe to apply the, 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 the knowledge. But yes, in a, on a whole, there, there isn't much done to ensure the trustworthiness of the networks and all. But yes, access, 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 everybody's talking access, everybody's talking, working on access. So our industry players focus more on, okay, how much connectivity can we send here? Uh, Policymakers are looking at how much connectivity can we have just so we, we boast about it that we have uh, connected this community and that community, but very little has been done in terms of uh, the skills for digital uh, citizenship and literacy. Well, it seems to me in a way, and, and I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this, that you're in a somewhat fortunate position in that you're you're helping to drive people's attention to the policy issues as this push for access is occurring. So it seems like you have a chance to be very influential in terms of the kinds of education children are getting and the structures that you can put in place to protect them. Um, I think you know here in the United States, a lot of um, organizations feel like they're playing catch up because the harms that have arisen for children are occurring when there's you know relatively broad access and it's it's hard to to put things in place proactively whereas it seems like you're in a slightly better position to do so um fred uh, my our position is a complex one it's a complex one in a sense that um we, we might also be catching up, but we are not even catching up. I think we are lagging behind. We are lagging behind because very few people take the issue of child safety seriously over here. So 
unlike in the states or in the global north where we see a lot of other organizations doing their best to make things happen very few does in the south so we we are always overwhelmed and sometimes you want to get people equipped in order for them to align some of the interventions with their existing child protection uh, interventions. But it doesn't work as effectively as you would love to have it because it's more like they have a focus, they have uh, funding towards a particular thing and not uh, online safety. So they claim to be doing child protection, but not child online protection. So they will have to finish their work and then you are now going back to tell them, okay, this is what you can do to align. At the country level, it's easy to influence the policy. And it's one thing having the policy and another thing implementing it. So it's it's been a, so much complexity in order to get things done the way you would want it. But then that said, we, we're still trying so hard to make it happen for the child because that is the only hope we have for the future. Yeah, that sounds almost like a um, like an insurmountable problem. You know, policy is one thing, but then if people don't have to follow the policy or don't yeah. um, don't know about the policy, then that makes it really challenging. Yeah. Um, so, what what is the thing that you are focusing the most on? Where where are you putting your energy in in helping keep kids safe online? Yeah, so uh, at the moment, uh, for from 2019 till date, we saw that we've done a bit in terms of the policy. So the policy is there. And how then do we roll out the policy to the level where everybody can be comfortable with and bite what is acceptable? So we focus more on the digital literacy skills for, for children, building capacity for teachers, to be able to align some of the, their lessons in, the, in an appropriate manner or in a standardized manner. And also have uh, sessions with uh, young people themselves, just trying to get feedback from them on some of the things that are going on and some of the situations they encounter in the classroom. And then we also focus on uh, parents. Um, because again, they spend most of the time with the children, but some of them are of the view that the children are more equipped than they are when it comes to the, the, the devices and the digital space in general. So we try to correct that impression that um, children naturally are impressionable. So as much as possible, your supervision and guide, guidance is key in ensuring that we have uh, holistic children in the system. So yes, some reach out for, for, for support when the time comes. And uh, we are also happy to say that with our intervention, uh, most of the service providers as the telecom companies are also now making available the anti-spam platforms for parents who wish to have it. So when you're going to get a device for your child, you can opt for that one, knowing very well that the child might be exposed. So you can use that level of protection for, for, for the child. So essentially, the energy goes more into building the children, but... Uh, along the line, we have to 
venture into advocacy when the need arises and also venture into some uh, legal arguments. That is when we fall on other lawyers to, to make the case for the child for, for the right action to be taken. How do you um, how do you find that the kids respond to all of this when you have a chance to work with them? Do you find them supportive, or are they grappling with a lot of the same issues in terms of bullying and so forth that occurs online? In fact, Fred, it will interest you to know that some of them have the the, the experience, like they've they've been victims online, but because of the way they've been socialized. You know, the discussion has been, okay, the internet is bad, everything on the internet is bad and stuff like that. So some of them find it so uncomfortable speaking about the situation. But then behind the scene, when you leave a private contact for them to get in touch and share knowledge with you, yes, they open up and you, you could tell that they are willing to to learn, they are willing to get out of situations, but um, it will take a lot of uh, parental support to have it done because again, they are scared not to lose the opportunity of having the device with them. So again, you need to now start talking to the parents in a way that it could balance the, the connection. So the children, on the whole, I would say they've been quite supportive. Um, and most often we, we, we design content to, to meet their needs. So recently they came up with the fact that, okay, we are not able to open up to you because you are older and we feel shy, we feel like you are a mother type of person. So can we have a young person do that? So we, we've started raising peer support systems for them so that they can connect among themselves. And when it becomes a burden for their age or for their level, then they reach out for support from us. So that's the approach we are adopting. Well, I think the peer programs are particularly powerful. I know a number of groups in the United States that have taken that approach, that one of the best responses to dealing with, uh, for instance, cyberbullying is to make people in that same age bracket aware of what's going on and, and give them the tools to intervene in a way that kids understand. It, it is fascinating to me because as Jethro and I have talked about it, doesn't matter what part of the United States you're from or you know whether you're overseas, you're seeing kids come online and face the same issues regardless. And, and I think that it, it puts a lot of responsibility on us as adults to try to help them navigate that. One uh, initiative we, we've just, uh, we started it last year with a view that we're going to have, make the most of it, uh, but then we couldn't uh, was is what we're calling Africa Africa Digital Leaders Program. So this is essentially teaching them the eight uh, adapted digital skills, just to make them uh, responsive and responsible in the space. So we focus mainly on the children between the ages of eight to sixteen for now. So they have the DQs, uh, Digital Intelligence Standard uh, lesson or sessions, after which we organize masterclass and uh, coding sessions for them uh, once in a month. 
So that is what we have at the moment uh, going. But the challenge with that now too is the fact that most of the parents cannot support uh, the data, the bandwidth for the children to connect uh, for an hour. So <laughs> I don't know how we're going to go about that, but then we're trying our best to see maybe we could now have the hard copy of uh, instructions so they have it at home. When they get the opportunity to come online, they can deploy those uh, lessons they've learned and stuff like that. We, we're just trying to find creative ways around uh, getting the lessons to them so that they can be equally equipped enough to, 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 to navigate a space. The challenges of the digital divide are spread across the United States as well, you know, certainly in terms of, yeah. of device access and also bandwidth. Um, you know, Jethro, of course, spent years working in Alaska where these are front and center to the infrastructure challenges that that state faces. Um, one of the things that we've also been talking quite a bit about is um, the extent to which the pandemic has affected the amount of time kids are spending online or how they're interacting with the internet. Has that been much of an issue in Ghana? <laughs> you, you, you know, Fred, when, when the, the, the pandemic started and then we had a first lockdown in March uh, 2020, a lot of people, a lot of calls started coming in. Okay, so what do we do under this circumstance? I've seen that they were watching something else the last time. How do I do this? How do I? So there was so much demand for that. But unfortunately, so it's not every school or every region that had access to, to that because some of the children had their lessons deployed to them on the national television. But I will interest you to know that they didn't even have access to the television to, to, to watch that lesson. Yeah. Uh, some, some had to resort to radio, but unfortunately, some didn't have the radio as well. So um, the telecom companies also came in along the line, uh, decided to zero rate content so that people can access and have their lessons and, and other things. So yes, um, that is how we, we managed to get over that. But then along the line, I think everything just went off uh, because people were getting too overwhelmed. The, the children were getting too connected. So addiction issues were coming in and parents were just getting worried. So at a point we're like, okay, no, let's, let's cut this you can have your hard copy and sit down and read. So, yes. <laughs> that, 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 that sounds painfully yeah, familiar. I was going to say, that sounds pretty familiar to me too. So, it, yeah. It, yeah. So, so the, what's really interesting there is that you, you're going through many of the same things that we're going through and, you know, telecom companies reducing prices so that more people have access, trying to partner with, TV to to broadcast it and maybe even going to radio, and and it, it sounds like all the same kinds of problems are happening there. But I do want to talk a little bit more about um, something that we hear of uh, here in the states, which is uh, sex trafficking and things like that. That, according to what we hear, that this is a problem in Africa and in other. Uh, countries that are not America, even though we know that it happens here too, but 
that it's more of an issue in other countries. How is technology uh, interacting with this kind of issue of human sex trafficking? Yes, uh, Jethro, uh, that, that is a big issue and uh, it's, it's bigger in West Africa and part of East Africa. Um, because of the tourism aspect of life in most of these countries. So um, that is an issue. And again, in terms of children and young people, um, due to the lack of knowledge that somebody could send you a Zoom link for a meeting, and when you are in the meeting, the person is recording you is one thing that most of them are not familiar with. So during the pandemic, we have had to receive reports. Um, we, we are Facebook's trusted partner in Ghana. So anything which has to do with child abuse imagery is reported to us and we take it up with uh, Facebook for, for them to take it down. So we have had reports from both young and old uh, I recall five university students, university girls um, from different regions uh, sending messages to us about um, uh, online sex that they've had with young men in other countries. And they didn't know the young men had recorded them. And they are now asking them to come back for the same act, when they refuse to come, the young men have decided to splash the photos and the videos uh, online. So those are issues that, real life issues that we, we are confronted with. But unfortunately, the behavioral patterns or standards we have here do not support it much. It would interest you to know on one occasion, I had to reach out to the cybercrime units of the Ghana Police Service for them to take action. But then they were, they were too slow for my liking. I was asked to send an email with a link um, to them and for them to take action. But the fact is, the more I share the links, the more I'm re-victimizing the victim. So I, I didn't find that a, a reasonable approach to handle the situation. And that is not the only issue. So I feel that because we don't have the, the system to support um, action against perpetrators, victims always become vulnerable. And sometimes they give up hope that it is possible for them to get redress when the, the, the time comes. So um, it has made it possible for um, abusive content to, to be on our platforms, on our networks. Very few come up and if we take action, yes, the providers take, take it down or do the needful. But most often than not, some of those situations could be something that could have been salvaged easily. But because we don't have the structures, because we don't have the system to support it, it's becoming so alarming. That, that is what I can say to that because I, I come across uh, 
images and videos of young girls who have been taken at the beaches and stuff like that. But sometimes, Jethro, you don't have anything to do. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that, that this is obviously a global, a global problem. And it, it, it's something that I understand full well the technical challenges of figuring out a, a system to protect young women and, and in some cases, young men as well. Um, we, we do need, I think, some, some more work at the international communication level, right? that these major platforms need to be more effective in minimizing the spread of this content when people try to put it online. But I, I think the other piece that goes directly into this is the ongoing education for children. And that's made more difficult by the fact that, that kids are being given these devices at younger and younger ages, and they don't necessarily have the maturity to understand what it is they're doing with them. That, that's, that's correct. That's correct, because imagine during the lockdown, a seven-year-old child has, uh, uh, has to go through the lessons on WhatsApp. And this WhatsApp is not originally set up for him or her, but was the parent's WhatsApp. So you can imagine the kind of content that will be transmitted via that document, uh, that platform for, for the child. So those are low hanging fruits that uh, I, I don't know if we, we, we're doing our best to make kids uh, well for the child or not, but it's not an encouraging situation. And sometimes my heart breaks when I come across things like that, but hey, what else can I do? There, there's, there, there, there is very little. So we wow. just need to keep talking, talking until the people listen. And I think at the, like we rightly said, at the international level, I, I don't know how coordination is going on there because I would have loved that um, this international uh, cooperation side of things takes into consideration the local level inputs so that from the top there, everybody's plugged into one thing. So the system is talking to one another, uh, to each other in order to uh, limit the, the presence of such things. But it, it, it's, it's not happening, or maybe it's happening on a, at a slow pace. So we don't seem to, to be seeing much progress in that regard. But you have been in the UK. I think they, they have a, a lot more robust system which could help with that. As you say, I was in the UK from uh, August of 2019 through October of 2020. And since I spent most of that in lockdown, I had a lot of time to research uh, these topics. And, and yes, it is absolutely true that um, you've got Interpol, you've got uh, Scotland Yard um, in the United States, although it's been less effective over the last four years, you've got the FBI and and other organizations, and and they're doing what they can do, I think, to try to track down um, individuals who are doing this on a larger scale. Obviously, the problem, as you were suggesting with the story you told, is you know a, a young man, right, who's contacting only two or three young women and uh, blackmailing them, or or as as we say, sex sextorting them for additional 
yeah, additional content. Those are very, very difficult cases to investigate. Um, I, I think one of the things you're alluding to, and it's it's exactly the same problem that we have here in some jurisdictions in the okay. United States, is that there's a culture of not taking it seriously or not moving quickly enough. Yeah. And I think that that's a that is a much more fundamental change that we need to bring about, which you know is challenging. Then where do we start from? That has been the my dilemma because now you want to focus on eight to twelve year olds, but just when you're focusing on those uh, that cohort of young people, then you now come across the thirteen to eighteen category who are supposed to. Uh, have access to social media and stuff like that. Also having issues with their behaviors online. So then you, you, you are caught and then you, you see the category of adults who also feel that, oh no, this thing people talk about safety is just uh, blowing hot air. What's the point? I mean, it's a, it's, it's a free space. Jethro and I wrestle with this all the time. It's, it's a central theme of the writing and the lecturing that I do. Where do you start? And I think the answer is you okay. start as young as, as you can, right? And, and you try to help this next generation that's coming along better understand what the risks are and how to be a decent person. Um, I'm not saying that adults are a lost cause, but I think, I think we can make more, <laughs> I think we can make more progress with the kids. Yeah, I, I also think so, but you know, they now mimic the adults. So where do you stand? Then it becomes a question, right, of which adults will they <laughs> model? <laughs> and yeah, that, that's a very hard, hard challenge. I, I don't have a good answer, except that the more positive content that is put out in the world, the way that yes. you know, you're doing with Child Online Africa, the, the more chance there is that some kid will look at that and say, this is the way I want to be. We need to help our kids find role models that they want to emulate that have the kinds of characteristics and qualities that, that we all think everybody should have. And they're going to follow and emulate people no matter what. So we need to do our best to get them to those that, that will do that they can really become as they grow older. That brings us to the not in character education, right? You have a misguided adult who has given birth to a child and ought to raise that child. So that is the first point of influence to the child. And now you are now trying to talk that child out of the habit that he or she has observed over time. And... I don't know, just it baffles. And now that we even have uh, uh, the media everywhere, I mean, the, the influence is so high. I, I don't know where we can have, when we can have a successful uh, system in place. But like you said, maybe the little we can do will go a long way to, to, to broadening the scope of the impact and then we, we, we will get there. <laughs> that's something that uh, Fred and I have talked about a lot also on this podcast is it, it really comes down to you're not going to out-educate what the kids learn at home. 
their what they learn at home is most likely who they're going to become unless they have a bad experience that that tells them they shouldn't be like that and they take a different yeah. path but i mean i i think that the approaches you're taking are are right you work with younger kids you work with their families and you know as we figure these things out it's going to take time to learn how to do it really well and i wish i had a better answer too to be honest <laughs> <laughs> well, we're we're working on that because look, I will, I I I am innately right. optimistic, and I and I would say to you, and I and I reassure myself because I need the reassurance. I would I would reassure all of us that the partnerships that yeah. you have formed are remarkable. I mean, the the coordination and the you know the discussions that you're having and the policies that you're adopting. Are, are influential. It, it is it is a long term thing. And then you know, speaking for for Jethro and myself, I think the the networking, the partnerships that we've begun to develop doing this podcast are part of that mix. You know that that it, exactly. You are right. Yeah, you are so right on that because just like I was talking about the fact that I may have to connect with Jethro on um, educational level engagement because principals of schools and management should be informed. Yes. And what can they do at that level? And it will be an interesting thing to 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 do for for that category of people because I'm I'm of the view that they are equally helpless and you you, you giving them information that they need in order to shape the policies at school level will go a long way to um, contributing positively to 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 the focus of the work we are all doing. Yeah, that's great. Well, I think that's fantastic. Oh, this has been just an absolutely delightful conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you for having me, and uh, we hope to connect some other time oh, I'm on sure. other issues. <laughs> I'm sure that we will. All right, yeah. folks, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our increasingly global coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of interesting experts who are helping us to understand the risks and rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones, Fred is at Cybertraps, and Avo is at Avo Advocates. If you're still listening, you must have enjoyed this podcast, so please leave us a five-star rating and review in your podcast service. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com/be to learn more and receive $500 off your first year.
That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com slash B-E.